Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 125. Woo! I'm so excited and also just having like a very creative day and just feeling great. Um, you know, springtime is good vibes, especially for anyone who has kind of like seasonal depression. It's just like, oh my God, the sun is out. There are blossoms on the trees. How are we supposed to be in a bad mood? Anyway, that's how I'm feeling. Um, Okay, I'm really excited about this episode. I re-listened to it um, two days ago and was just like, oh, hell yeah. I can't wait for people to hear it. Um, And I wanted to also make a little announcement. Normally, I take off the final Tuesday of the month, but I'm doing it a little bit different this month because the last episode of this month is going to be the like song diary deep dive for um, the fifth single that's coming out for the Hallowed Wide. It's called Breaking Room and it's an 80s bop and it's coming out um, April 22nd. So I want to release that the final week of April. So anyway, all this to say, this is the last regular episode for April. I'll take next week off and then there will be another episode uh, the last week in April and then again in May. Um, I can't remember if I said this last week, but I have been booking the the last few interviews for um, Artifice Season six. So this is season five airing right now. Um, season six will start in August. Um, but I've already done a bunch of interviews for it and have been, uh, scheduling the last, the last few, and it is shaping up to be such an incredible season. And I'm just, I'm psyched. I hope you guys are psyched too. And I've been working on lots of other creative projects and have just been feeling, yeah, been feeling great. Um, yeah, I hope you're also feeling great. And I hope that at very least you're feeling excited about um, you know, the things you're hearing and seeing from me, trying to do my best to put beauty and joy and thoughtful, you know, heady things into the world. Um, and my guest for today is of the same ethos for absolute sure. Um, so I'm going to tell you about her now. Zaza Historia Van Dyke is a POC trans femme parent, performer, songwriter, and artist from Ogden, Utah. You can find Zaza anywhere she can be loud and proud with an instrument in hand, either playing upright bass for the Backyard Revival or playing guitar and singing her own original music. She's the girl at every campfire and party, singing and playing acoustic guitar. In fact, you'll be hard-pressed to find Zaza without a guitar close by. Zaza's greatest inspirations are the people surrounding her in life who've pushed her and supported her music and her love of the world and atmosphere around her. And Zaza also tells us about her uh, youth and uh, having like sponsorships for skateboarding, which is just fucking cool. And she also does like glass blowing now and is just such a creative individual and a very, very thoughtful person. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation. It's really important to me to, um, to talk to as many different kinds of artists as possible. Um, you know, in medium, in like background, in current, you know, philosophies, I feel like that's just kind of like my practice, my values put into practice. And, um, I think Zaza feels that way too. And it just, I don't know, it's always beautiful to meet a kindred soul in that way. So thank you, Zaza. And thank you listeners. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Here you go. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. 
and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Do you have any questions before we start? Mm, nope. Okay. <laughs> so um, I think you've maybe listened to an episode or two, but the things that I like to talk about are like, you know, our beliefs um, about the origins of creativity. Every once in a while, when I very first start, it'll like get overloaded and stop. So I'm keeping an eye on it. <laughs> um, and kind of just like, you know, philosophies about art and art identity. Um, so I usually like to start by talking with people about um, how creativity uh, manifested in their childhoods. So what kind of stuff were you getting into as a little baby Zaza? As a little baby Zaza, I loved singing like McDonald's jingles and like all the grocery store jingles. And anytime yeah. I heard jingles, I would sing along with them and everybody. Can you think me. of like why you liked jingles? I don't know. I'm just a sucker for hooks and catchy <laughs> lines. So they always stick in Fair my brain enough. and that was what came out. Did you grow up here in Utah? Um, I spent a few years here in Utah when I was younger, but then I grew up mostly in Vegas. Okay. Okay, cool. Mm. And um, in terms of like the adults or like, you know, siblings in your life, um, were any of them creative or did, what kind of role models, if any, did you have? Um, I'm the oldest of three. Okay. And growing up, my little brother wasn't as artistic as I was or creative. He has a more mechanical brain. Cool. <laughs> which it's I kind of too, yeah. Yeah, it's too it's like the opposite side of the way that I create. Yeah. So I always envied him. But my mom plays piano and okay. loves to sing. So I would always be riding in the car with her, listening to her sing Bon Jovi or some weird abstract hairband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was when my love, love for it. singing really started. Do you, do you feel like singing is your main medium and you do so many things, which is one of the reasons I've been excited mm -hmm. to talk with you. I would say that upright bass is my main medium. Okay. I went to the Las Vegas Academy of Performing and Visual Arts and it's a magnet high school in Vegas. Okay. Let's you... talk about like how you got there. So uh -huh. as a, as a little, I, I, I'm obsessed with like, I'm obsessed with childhood creativity. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, like I, I assume if you're going to go to a performing arts high school, there are things that happen before that. Definitely. So what, what was going on? Like, what? how did you start kind of branching out or being more expressive or more curious as a kid? Um, I, my earliest memories of like wanting to branch out and actually create things when I realized that music and art was a thing that we could do Yeah. <laughs> was in like middle school, early middle school. Okay. And, um there you like go and pick all your electives and everything. And it was my first cool. time being able to pick electives and look at the paper and see like what was all offered. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to take a guitar class. Cool. And so I took a guitar class after hearing American idiot by <laughs> green day. Yeah, that's <laughs> I was like, Whoa, people are making those noises. Those that's cool, cool sounds. Instruments. That's <laughs> totally. right. I'm going to do that. And so I joined a guitar class and before the guitar class started, the guitar teacher was also the orchestra teacher. And she was like, you have really big hands. You should come play bass in my orchestra. I hear that so frequently <laughs> with bass. Like, you're tall. You should play bass. Or right, like, right. Just Nobody ever picks bass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It's such a cool instrument, though. I mean, it's such a powerful... It's it's like a 
such a powerful instrument. For sure. It's the piece of the music that makes you move and nobody realizes that on a surface. Level. I know. I run a wedding band or like a party band. And lots of times people who are trying to like, you know, scrimp on their budget will be like, well, do we really need the bass? And I'm like, yes, definitely. <laughs> like, like I would get rid of guitar before I get rid of bass. Like mm. you, you won't know what's wrong with it, but it will sound wrong to you if yeah, the bass exactly. isn't there. <laughs> It'll sound yeah. empty and foundationless. Yes, it will. <laughs> so, okay. So that was middle school. Mm-hmm. So like at that time, I'm also, I also think that like, you know, our teen years, like just, I don't know, I'm interested in identity more than mm-hmm. anything. And I love to try to kind of like t- trace those things back to like, you know, what was going on when we were kids or like which little sparkles of our identities mm-hmm. kind of like were always there and which ones we had to kind of like battle to keep or battle to find. So, um, so by the time you were like, you know, 10, 11, 12, did you feel like creativity was like part of who you were? Like, was that something you were clinging to yet? I felt like performing was something that I was to do because I loved like those jingles. I would always sing them in front of like groups of family members or just like. What did you get out of it? Like what, what did you like about it? The excitement of performing in front of people, yeah. you know, that high that you get on stage and you're like, yeah, totally. I, rad. of course I do. I'm a singer as rad. well, so I know it. But, um, I think for me, like I would maybe feel like that high specifically for me, like I, I know in retrospect and now, like for me, it's not about like attention per se, mm-hmm. as much as like the, the thrill of like affecting the mood of like a room. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. Like it's crazy to watch how music affects different people and how art affects different people. And when you have them all in the same room, it's some sort of magic almost totally just watching something that you're creating, change the mood of a whole room. Yes. It's super beautiful. Yeah. And go ahead. More than the attention really, it was more about being able to do something that, people liked that I did instead of something that they were trying to convince me not to do because I was always very femme as a child Mm -hmm. and was told those are for girls. You should go do this thing or play sports or all of that. How did you like conceptualize that when you were little? Like, I think my question is like, and it's a, I'm going to ask it in like a binary way, but Mm -hmm. like only because I can't like say all the options, but was it more like, no, I know that this is like who I am and I just need to convince you to see it. Or was it like self, like, were you trying to kind of like, uh, be more, you know, I don't know, like what people were telling you or like, how did it feel from your perspective as a child? It definitely just felt like I was doing the boy thing wrong. I was like, Oh, I'm not supposed to like those things. I'm supposed to play yeah. sports. I'm supposed to be more masculine and the boys don't cry situation and it all felt of like that. Confusing to yeah, you. So I was very confusing to me all the way up yeah. been through high school. Did you find like other ways to be expressive that felt safe? Like were you doing any visual art at that time? Or even like one thing that I think about a lot is like sometimes I think early creativity has less to do with our output and more to do with our input. Like what books are we seeking out? What characters are we like privately identifying with even like imagination and play? Like, is there anything else that you feel like was kind of going on? Um, yeah, definitely. I was a skateboarder. So that was like something that I could do that nobody could manage me. You know, I I could 
skate the way that I wanted to and present the way that I wanted to and skate whatever I wanted to without anybody saying, you can't do that or that's not the right way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like the earliest form of me like expressing myself in that or art form because skateboarding is an art form in itself. Totally. And then. And did that feel like, was that like a, um, I know lots of times people get into skating and skateboarding because of like the, the kind of like all, a lot of the like alternative kids are in yeah. that space. <laughs> did it feel like that to you too? Definitely. Yeah. 100%. And you, you felt like safer and more accepted there? For sure. Cool. <laughs> Cause when you're around a group of weirdos then how's anybody going to judge you for being a weirdo? Totally. <laughs> totally. I understand. I, I, I've talked about this publicly a lot, but like I had, my parents were like really narcissistic and kind of abusive people. And, um, so I felt, I felt, um, different as a child and sort of homeless. Um, but my presentation was very like, very normal Mormon white girl child. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause that's kind of just what my parents demanded. Yeah. And I, I, I frequently felt like a pull toward, um, alternative pockets of kids um but kind of felt like it would make my home situation like that much worse that it didn't really always feel like an option but I certainly understand like the the draw the feeling yeah definitely yeah. my child like my parents situation was really cookie cutter and normal for like a middle class American family like we had all the things we needed but neither of my parents were ever there yeah, because they were okay. always at work. So we were either with some babysitter or with some family member. Yeah. So. And what was your relationship like with your younger siblings? Like, did you feel, um, I don't know, I'm the oldest too. And I sometimes, sometimes when I was younger, less so the older I got, but I felt like I, um, I felt like I was accepted by my younger siblings in a way that I like wasn't accepted by my parents. Mm -hmm. And I took a lot of comfort in that as a child. Um, I don't know. Did you feel like that kind of nurturing role? Me and my little brother were like, we're only three years apart in age. So we were always doing the same things cool. and he was always out skating with me and everything like that. So me and him were like really bonded on that level, but it was more of that level than an emotional level. Sure. You know? Bonded in the thing, in yeah, the activity. Like we were, if we were doing that thing, then we were bonded. But cool. then outside of that, we weren't very close yeah. and then my little sister she's much younger than me but she's super rad cool. <laughs> and cool. she's like the most expressive of all three of us I love because that. she had more space to do so yeah. and had people around her all the time since her parents were still always working but she had me and my brother yeah so she had people to help her through yeah. the harder things Being the <laughs> oldest is like it's tricky in that way Definitely. like it can be like a very lonely pursuit. Um, I think I have like just two more questions about your childhood. Um, one is, do, do you remember like taking in any certain kinds of music or video games or TV books, any other kind of media that felt like, I don't know, inspiring or like interesting to you? For Was sure. That part I of your... always liked femme supervillains. And cool. they were like my inspiration. I was like, they're dope. Like Maleficent? Yeah, for sure. Like Maleficent. And She's like the best. Mortal Kombat. I don't know why I was playing that as a kid. Probably my cousins. But I definitely played a lot of Mortal Kombat. And there was like all the femmes on there that were just all badass and beating everybody up. And I was like, yeah, 
Those that, shits are rad. Those are the things. <laughs> yeah, those are it's the true. Like, it, there are so many. I we didn't have video games in my house growing up, but even just like the number of villains in like the Disney franchise that are like beautiful, stylish women. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading a really cool book right now. It's like a Peter Pan kind of book. It's cool. Peter. Pan. It's definitely Peter Pan, but it's like inspired for everybody that had a queer awakening through villains and yeah. like always saw a piece of themselves in the enemy i would love to read that yeah you, you should it's called title. peter darling peter darling yeah, okay cool it's a really good book but that i really did i do resonate with that deeply like even powerpuff girls when i was younger like yeah. him from powerpuff girls yeah. was like always my favorite like super cool. iconic to me so in a way not fitting in all the time everywhere i went the closest things I could relate to were villains, villains and Disney villains and video game villains. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, I bet that's like, okay. So my, my next question, the other one question I was going to ask, maybe it's related, but I'm curious, like how, um, or what you remember about like how your, your perspective or like, did you have a lot of like internal, like, thinking and processing these kinds of things or like what was the state of your mind like my mind works in a really weird way still to this day it still feels childlike and I don't fully process things like what I'm intaking or anything like yeah. that it was more of just a just trying to be yeah and liking the things that I did like and yeah yeah less like um step-by-step step kind of like yeah, problem yeah. solving Definitely. yeah yeah I I'm like I'm the opposite I was like an extremely like my brain was always like processing a bunch of different scripts and like trying to think of like what's going on how can I fix it mm -hmm. which I think like I I don't know I'm always curious about like like I said with identity like certainly our identities are forming when we're children but to maybe greater or lesser degrees of like, um, awareness, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Yeah. There was definitely like most of my childhood, especially the younger years was like a repression thing. So sure. I was more focused on not showing like, things and probably not would, looking at it too hard Yeah, and trying yeah. not to stare at it too hard Yeah, because I was taught that those things weren't okay. And it, it's kind of like breeds this self-loathing totally. kind of situation. I think it's like the exact, I'm trying to just like turn this off, but my phone isn't letting me. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> um, but I have a stupid phone. It's like not a, it's not a Samsung or an iPhone. It's just like a cheap, a stupid phone, like not a smartphone. <laughs> it's almost a smartphone. <laughs> and like, sometimes it really just like won't obey me. Like I'm trying to shut off this call. I'm giving commands. Yeah. It just like won't, it just won't obey. But then I'm like, you were $200. So like free and clear. So like, I accept you. I accept you the way you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was going to say, I, it's like the exact opposite, a coping strategy. Like, you know, as a child who's experiencing trauma, like my kind of coping strategy was like trying to solve the trauma mm -hmm. and your coping Mine strategy was like, wasn't. let's not look at it. Yeah. Like let's yeah. Uh, bottle that up and <laughs> yeah. figure that out in our twenties. <laughs> yeah. I also figured, you know, well have been figuring mine out in my twenties, but, uh, 
certainly tried to figure it out as a child. Right. But, you know, you don't have the tools. And a weird thing for me, like, and that I've learned about with trauma is, like, trauma can, like, erase your memory. So there's, like, huge portions of my childhood and some of my teenage years that I just can't recall. Like, I think hard on them, especially now that I have a daughter. And she brings a lot of that up for me because I can see her going through things that I went through. I'm like, oh. I remember being your age now. Yeah, but interesting. It takes things like that to like kind of jog reopen back. those. I've heard that pathways. I'm in a lot of like, um, you know, different support groups on Facebook, which I find like very helpful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people report that they can't remember much. And I feel like I w- I kind of was the opposite, like cataloging and filing everything and right. trying to like so I could predict like when bad things would happen or try to prevent them from happening. Um, which does to me feel like deeply related to like my own uh, creative methodology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's definitely like rooted in a really similar uh, executive function, I think. Yeah. And my create, like as a songwriter now, songwriting is like my newest form of cool. creating. That's only something that I've been doing for about five years now, singing and songwriting in that way. And even in my writing style, it's like all of my repressed feelings that yeah. I don't really talk about go directly into my music. So I'm always writing like either sad songs or just super deep introspective yeah. songs. Do you ever feel like people, um, like if your kind of day to day self, like isn't talking a lot about that kind of stuff and then your songwriting self is, do you ever feel like people get confused between the two? Like they don't oh, feel definitely. like, definitely. I feel like that so much. Like, like there's a mismatch between like the things I make and the way that people see me as a person. For sure. Do you want to say anything else about that? Just like meeting people that have just known me through the internet. They're like, whoa, you are absolutely nothing like I thought you were going to be. Really? <laughs> I was just like, haven't you heard my songs? And they're like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Cause they're like not the same as your image or whatever. So the podcast <laughs> is called artifice and I, I like it cause it's a cool word. I say this like almost every episode, but also like, I, f- th- I feel like this kind of thing, like the way that we as artists, like, um, put parts of ourselves or all of ourselves or like very, very little of ourselves into our work. Mm-hmm. Um, people look at the work and look at the artist and like sometimes get like extremely confused. Yeah, for sure. And it inherently like has this kind of like artifice, not that it's artificial, but just that there's like these kind of, uh, mismatched layers. Sometimes I find it interesting and upsetting. (laughs) It's definitely interesting. Well, the way that we present ourselves outwardly for everybody to see a lot of the times is in a way that, is safe yeah majorly you know like yeah. the majority of the time i feel safe presenting this way yeah. so then when you're creating and you're letting out the vulnerable sides that people don't normally see because you're a traumatized human and you yeah. hide that away totally <laughs> it is usually very contrasting yeah yeah i've had a lot of people sit in this chair and say things like you know if people like people people can't know me unless they've seen what i make Like they're never going to know all of me just by talking to me. They need to like see what I make because, you know, I'm, I'm only able to express certain parts of myself through my mediums. Um, and I've heard people say like all manner of like variations of that kind of thing. It's, I find it so interesting, like the relationship between the artists and their art and the relationship between the art and the audience 
and the relationship between like the artist and the audience. There's like so much going on in all these places. And sometimes it feels like a nice, neat kind of straight line. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels like boggled. And yeah, my, my creativity feels so confusing because yeah. it's like, like with my glass art, that's like, I feel like the one art form that I do that is just what it is. It's yeah. just art, like glass art. Like it's cool. it has its function. This is what you use it for. Yeah. I made it pretty or whatever, but I, I feel like it has the least amount of Zaza in it. You know? Yeah. Like that's so interesting. And then songwriting is like the biggest parts of Zaza because I have like a terrible time with communication I have always had a hard time talking and talking to people and being a songwriter is just weird for me because I'm a wordsmith now like I write things and I'm talking to people and communicating through Mm -hmm. usually the loudest microphone in the room totally and it's helped me come to terms with myself a lot more being able to talk through music and through songwriting I've been going through something recently where like Cause I'm also a songwriter and I'm, and I write a lot. Like I write a lot of lyrics and then I also just write a lot of prose. Like writing is definitely my most like comfortable medium. I think even more than singing, although singing's quite comfortable, but I've been going through something lately where like I've received feedback from several people who I trust, like, uh, like marketing, like coaches, like people who I'm like, help me figure out what's going on. Um, and also just people who I love, I've received several bits of feedback that are somewhere along the lines of like the things that you write are like too polished. And then I feel like really, I feel really confused about it because I also feel like talking to people, like they miss so much and like I communicate poorly sometimes and like I feel a lot of fear. And so when I'm writing, I get to do it like, how I want and it doesn't feel like polished in like a fake way to me it feels just like this is perfect this is what it's intended to be this is the perfect thing that I like am always trying to articulate but I had like time to figure it out and the idea that there's something like wrong with that like really fucks me up sometimes yeah I totally get that (laughs) and I I have that same problem but in the opposite sense like when I write down when I sit down and write a song like everybody that writes songs has their story on how they write songs and nobody writes songs like I do. And I'm just like, I throw them all together. I have like a, a I think it didn't catch that last thing. So you were talking about, um, your songwriting, your box, this metaphor, is it, is it a real metaphorical Metaphorical box, box. but it's kind of a real box too. It's like a structure (laughs) because I really like structure for some reason. Like that's something that I crave is just structured things. (laughs) So I have like a songwriting structure and then I get a feeling and then I write that feeling to that structure of the song. And it's the same most of the time. That's so interesting. (laughs) I feel like I do a similar thing. Like I hardly ever write um, like a story. Like I don't like to write mm-hmm. narratively. I like to try to f- imagine like a feeling or sometimes it feels really visual to me. Like it's like a, like a color or like a, like a type of a filter, like right, some sure. kind of like a, like it's gauzy or it's like really neon and clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just try to write whatever, like sounds like that feeling or mm-hmm. sounds like that, um, that emotion or whatever you're yeah. trying to, I write mostly for the emotion of it. And that would, Since I'm like, I'm a really emotional person and I express my emotions openly, like I wear them on my face. So like I try and use my ability to feel emotions so heavily in my songwriting 
And most of the time, I struggle with finding the words to match that emotion. Yeah. So when I'm writing songs, I'm really just trying to yeah. get that emotion and out. And then also trying to get them to rhyme, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. But I think about this sometimes. Like, I'll look at lyrics that, like, I've written, and I feel like these are so precious. Like, this is such a masterpiece of a, of a couplet because, like, it articulates this emotion, like, so beautifully and it rhymes and it has like really nice alliteration mm -hmm. and it's just like so accurate and yeah those kinds of things like matter a lot to me definitely same so when you were like picked up guitar or started to take the guitar class and then were bass was forced upon you yeah <laughs> at this point in your life were you um did did people see you as like this child sings like, was no, that, okay, it was kind of like just something not. that maybe your family knew and you knew. Yeah. Okay, and then were you doing any visual art yet? No, the only visual art that I do is glass art. It's, I mean, what a cool medium, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry, what? You do so many things, though. Okay, so you started taking the, you started playing bass in the orchestra, and you mm -hmm. were also taking a guitar class? No, after when I jumped you into the orchestra class, she took me out of the guitar class, and okay. because they were the same. Well, you play guitar now, so you yeah. got back to it. I know. <laughs> it was like, so I always had that image of what, what I wanted happened? to be. Like, what happened that got you from that moment into, like, a performing arts high school? Um... I just really enjoyed being in orchestra and it was crazy. Like I didn't, I got in kind of late, so I missed like a lot of the stuff at the it's beginning. So I always felt like I was playing catch up, Yeah. but it came really naturally to me, especially being in the bass section. And I just fell in love with the group, like the feeling of being in this huge group of people it's playing magical. one sound, like, yeah. 15 cello players and 40 violin players or whatever. And we're all like working together to make one beautiful thing. And I fell in love with that. It's so. an incredible feeling. I felt like that about choir too. Yeah. I've never felt it quite the same. Like with, with like a, like a band, like a traditional, like, you know, five, six piece band. Um, maybe like there are moments of it, but like in a choir, like it's a precious feeling. Like, it like it does something like to your cells. Yeah, like, there's like nothing else like it. And humans are pack animals. Like we're supposed to yeah. work together and we've gotten to this point where everybody's always working against each other. So when you have those moments that you're just sitting there with this huge group of people that yeah. may have different political beliefs or social beliefs or yeah. religious beliefs and you're all working together to make something beautiful and mm -hmm. something to please people it's incredible it's it magic it gives me goosebumps just precious. thinking about me it. too <laughs> i've been thinking about this lately even like i mean with a big group obviously it's like it's it's money it's the best feeling but even like i've been thinking lately like i teach i teach a lot of students i teach at uvu um and i i i want to have that like little bits of that feeling like just when i'm accompanying my students in their lessons like yeah you know, and I think like as a child, I'm, sh I'm sure you felt this way too, but because I felt so isolated in so many ways, those feelings that I had creating music were just like everything, like yeah, so sure. valuable. And like touching on the identity factor of being in like a huge orchestra, is it, there's an erase of, of personal identity when you're in those huge groups yeah. and you're playing like compositions like that it's not about who you are or how yeah. good you are at your instrument it's about how well the orchestra sounds i totally and know what you mean so like 
always trying to hide an identity or not knowing an identity that I have. Yeah. It was really healing and I felt at home being in a place where my identity didn't matter. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And I, I think it's the kind of thing that could be easily misunderstood as like making you feel small or making you feel erased. But no, I feel the same way. Even like when one thought that I that I have, I think as a teacher, I reflect back on these things and think like, how can I teach? What I was going to say before is like that feeling of like, like wanting that, I think because it was so scarce for me to feel like comfortable, I craved that feeling and would just like milk it, like milk every mm -hmm. moment of it and look for it and find it like everywhere I could. And I think that served me really well as a musician. And I see a lot of my students and peers like being really bad at that, like having like being too kind of like it's really struggling to get lost in like the bigger hole. Yeah. But uh, one thing that I loved like so much and continue to love uh, um, is the feeling of like singing in, you know, I think I felt this most particularly when I was in college and I was in like a vocal jazz group where like everyone has a microphone, you have monitors in front of you and, and knowing that there were like sounds coming out of my mouth, but that they were subtle enough that I couldn't hear myself like back in the monitor mm -hmm. and just knowing like this sound that I'm creating is truly like, you can't dissect it from the rest of this hole. Right. It's like amalgamated mm -hmm. in, and I get like, I get like a very, like the visceral feeling that I get is like warm. <laughs> like yeah. It, it feels really good. Yeah. Like going back to just being pack animals, like that's just something we're supposed to do. We're supposed yeah. to work with each other yeah. to build and to create, you know, and like. I love it so much. That was something that I had a disconnect from because I always felt like I was working against people when really I was just working against myself and my identity mm. that I was repressing. What do you mean? Because I like I like to play with Barbies and like oh, toys like that that I wasn't. You mean working to play against yeah. like the culture? Yeah, okay. yeah. So like when you're in a culture that yeah, it's dependent on working together, right? Despite your differences, it's yeah. just like a warm, yummy feeling. <laughs> oh man, I totally get that. I mean, yeah, yummy for sure. I was gonna say before, it feels like drinking like a warm drink. Yeah, like, like tea. It, it feels <laughs> like warm in my collarbone. Like it mm -hmm. feels like warmth. Yeah, um, but no, I I totally get that feeling too. Even just you know, I I'm estranged from my dad um, uh, for two years now, almost two years, and you know, slowly but surely, kind of the entire family like disconnects more and more from me. And it's such it's so bizarre to me because I think I feel a similar way. Like I want that closeness like so badly, and I value it so much. And it's really disorienting to feel like the choices that I make in order to like be able to give more and like feel more are like the very choices that like make that feeling like more scarce. Mm -hmm. It feels like a weird, like chasing like, the dragon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it feels just like wrong. Like it feels like mismatched and like, it feels very confusing to like my very tender self. <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I, I mean, I'm sure it's like, very much more extreme to like present in like a gender not normal as a child in the 90s 2000s yeah, 90s. <laughs> yeah i but i feel like i get a little bit of that feeling mm -hmm. um okay so when you were when you were in the orchestra did your teachers like quickly kind of did 
were you like one of the better students quickly or, or yes or no, or, um, my teacher, Miss Fazana, she was the viola player for the what Phantom. A cool of name. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was rad. And she was the viola player for the Phantom of the Opera on the strip. Cool. And she was like, you could really do this if you actually tried. <laughs> Cause <What> a, <laughs> I, yeah. I had that like attitude about me that I wasn't going to try real hard at anything, Yeah, but I was going to do it anyways, but not so try real hard. <laughs> how did you take that? <laughs> so I, for whatever reason, believed her and was like, all right, I'm going to do I'll this. Try I, I'll try harder then. And yeah. I loved the feeling of being in a group of people. It was just bizarre to me, like absolutely bizarre, like playing music with that many people or just doing anything with that many people. Yeah. And I was like, I want to keep doing this. So I stayed after school and like hung out with Miss Fazana and caught up on all of my fundamentals and what? tried to learn real hard. Yeah. What, <laughs> like, what did it feel like to go from like, I'm not a person who tries hard to like, hell yeah, I'm going to try hard. Overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more. And because that at the points that I wasn't doing what I thought I should be doing or being as good as I was, it was frustrating. It was extremely frustrating. Yeah. And I really never liked not being able to do things. Yeah. So. It's like trying hard was kind of like a scary thing because it's like I'll have to know that I am working hard and still sucking at this a little right. bit. Yeah, I have yeah. to know that I'm giving my all and still not at the place that I want to yeah. be right now. But that was like when I started to realize that working hard at things actually, actually does, does help things in the end. I was yeah. just saying this to one of my students yesterday. She's like 13, 14. And I was like, I just, I was like, if you can just make yourself practice a little bit more for a little while, I know you're going to be like, holy crap this works <laughs> like then you're like addicted to like that like it's motivation in and of itself right yeah and I hate seeing students like not believe that like it's devastating to me I was definitely that student I was like nope I tried didn't work yeah <laughs> I just teach me something different now oh it breaks my heart I do feel like that's one of those things that like came packaged with me with my like little personality. Like yeah. I feel really lucky. Like that's not a lesson that I had to learn. I've oh, yeah. always been like ridiculously earnest. And when you're really earnest, trying really hard is just fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's still like a lesson that I have to think back on yeah. all the time. Even in my current state, I'm just like, all right, calm down, Zaza. You'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it'll be okay. Everything doesn't have to happen right now. Yeah. 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 But you can work right now for what you want. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't know. I sometimes like I lose sight of this. And like lately I've been like so depressed and have been in like a, a real slump on this kind of thing. But I, I often in my life have really enjoyed feeling like the work that I'm doing toward like a certain goal somewhere in the middle of the work, the goal kind of shifts or the skill set kind of becomes something different than what I thought. Mm -hmm. And I, I've many times been like really excited by that surprise. And so I t most of the time I feel like when I'm starting something new or really trying hard on something, um, I kind of feel like, eh, who knows, but it'll probably be good. Mm. It'll probably be fun. Definitely. But yeah. lately I'm feeling a little like very cynical. Yeah. Full yeah. Disclosure. Well, look at the world around us at it's the moment. Hard. <laughs> it's hard. The world's burning. It's hard to There's be like viruses. a sensitive little, like it's hard to be sensitive and earn it. It's hard to be earnest in like the world that we live in. Oh, for sure. It's a doggy cat world. <laughs> yeah. Doggy dog world. Yeah. Cat. Cat. 
eat just be cool yeah <laughs> the, cat, the cat doesn't eat anybody no, the, cat's the cat's just like whatever <laughs> i got this the cat's like i'm too busy for this <laughs> so how did you get into the performing arts school so i actually auditioned to get into the school and it was really weird because I didn't get accepted at first. And then like, so I didn't learn any of like the summer music or any of that oh, stuff. No. Cause when you get into that school, like the first like week the there's the a work. concert cool. and like all of the different majors have their welcome back to school concert. Cool. So like I didn't make it and I was just like, ah, oh, well that sucks. And my mom told me that the only way that she would buy me an upright bass is if I made it into that school. Mm. So I was like, ah, oh, well that sucks. I guess I don't get my upright bass. And then I was like, I'll just sign up for orchestra at the normal high school and do that, I guess. But at the time that was like really skateboarding. Like I had sponsors and oh, I wow. was like doing the skateboarding thing. So that was my mission. Like, How did that happen? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Pause. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, that's, I mean, that's performance too. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. And I didn't like, my dad always wanted me to play sports and be on a team of people which is kind of contrasting to what I just said about the orchestra situation, but I didn't want to be on a team of people. I was like, it's different when it's um, <laughs> competitive. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. I didn't want to, I get that compete with other people on my team to be able to play, you know, like yeah, I didn't yeah. want to be sitting on the bench. I didn't want uniforms. I definitely didn't want uniforms. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I started skateboarding and like I, every single day I skateboarded and I, that was my fam, my chosen family, you know? Cool. And, so, I, yeah, I did that on a competition level. I entered skate contest. I cool. had a board sponsor, a clothing sponsor. Holy shit. How did, <laughs> how did it feel to, like, be validated in that kind of way at that age in your particular context? It felt really weird. Like, <laughs> super, super weird. I was like, yeah. this is really cool. You want me to sell your stuff for you, basically. Like, be There's your walking billboard. So that's right. fascinating about children that are, that are, validated in these kinds of like professional ways by adults like the juxtaposition of like a truly underdeveloped brain like just a biologically underdeveloped brain mm -hmm. with like that kind of responsibility is so interesting like I feel like it can make or break oh for sure but did it feel mostly good it was my good you know good. Cool. like that was what all my attention was focused on was like how to improve my skateboarding and trying every day to get better cool but in a way that I wanted to, like, I didn't want to do all the crazy, scary things that other skaters were doing, but I wanted to do the stuff I felt comfortable with and could make look the best. It sounds like that doing it. you were, you haven't yet told me about like developing a style, but mm -hmm. that's a medium too. Yeah. For so sure. how did, how did you start doing that? Um, well, trauma, yeah. <laughs> I was skateboarding and I was at the park and then the group of dudes that I hang out with just like had a whole hour roasting session on just like everything I was wearing and like what I looked like and were everything. Were you presenting more feminine back then? No, I was like totally masculine back Why then. Why were they, what was their, because was their like beef? I, I didn't wear clothes that fit me right. Like my, okay. like I just wasn't a very stylish kid. Like I looked as awkward as I felt in my brain okay. outwardly. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. So it was just like, I was really good at skateboarding. But I didn't look good when I was doing it. You didn't look and cool enough. Part of skateboarding is the steez and the style and like yeah. everybody can do a kickflip, but whose kickflip looks the best? Yeah. You know, like who who does the cleanest kickflip, who stomps their landings, you know, who has the best clothes and gear on while they're doing their yeah. stuff. And like my parents working for a grocery store growing up, I couldn't always 
afford yeah, the nicer clothes or like the nicer boards or whatever. So I literally had the push to get these sponsorships wow. so that I could have the gear, yeah. have the boards, have the clothes and all of that stuff. And it developed over time just with that goal of that's a very um that. <laughs> confident and like gutsy thing in the context of like a lot of insecurity how did how did you do that um it gave me something to focus on like okay yeah. it gave me like tunnel vision yeah, yeah like a project like okay cool I can do this like yeah. I all I have to do is this and then I would get that goal and then I'd be like all right now I got to do this one yeah. <laughs> and, and were I your do parents that. like watching this happen or was it were you kind of like no I was totally separate from my parents and okay. that was really cool too my mom hated that I skateboarded she was just like I was terrified every day that I was gonna come home all broken and she cut was up worried and for you yeah, not she, was, she wasn't like don't be a weirdo yeah and she then my like, dad okay. really didn't like skateboarders like he was from the east coast and he had like a, a rough background. So he grew up in like gangs and stuff like that. And they always okay. beefed with the skateboarders and he has like this huge scar across his face from being hit in the face with the skateboard. Oh my gosh! And then, so when I told him that I was going to be a skateboarder, the first thing he said to me was be careful who you hate in life because they will always end up in your family. Mm. <laughs> and that's like one of the best things that I took from my dad because he hated skateboarders and he yeah. hated queer people. And yeah. His sister came out as lesbian and I came out as a skateboarder. His other son was a skateboarder and then I come out as queer too. And he's like, yeah, yeah. that's don't hate people because they'll end up in your family. I mean, also <laughs> just don't hate people. Yeah, just also don't but, hate people. Yeah. But that's a, like a metaphorical way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because you're going to have to deal with that person for the rest of your life now. Yeah. So you better find you're out how to love them. figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. When you get it, so, okay, I want to hear what happened with the performing arts high school, but like the context getting into it is like, you're now having sponsorships. Do, is your like, do pe do your peers see you as like cool? Oh yeah. Like at that point I was like, yeah, yeah I'm doing the thing. I'm, I can skate. I'm on like hanging out with the skate teams and going filming cool. and street skating and doing all the stuff the cool kids are doing. Everyone knows you're a badass at this point. <laughs> is that Everybody right? Everybody knows I do, I do things. Everyone knows you do things. <laughs> and your like social clout is like pretty high. Yeah. For the skateboarding. For the skateboarding community. community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then. For the performing arts high school, like, was that, was that something you had to like convince your parents to like let you audition? Mm -mm. They had scouts that came to our school and it was like, my parents were always super supportive. Like good. they were like, all right, well, whatever you want to do, I guess. Yeah, good. <laughs> I was like, weird, cool. I'm going to do it then. That's and awesome. I was really pressuring my mom to get me an upright bass up to that point. But she was like, I don't think you're going to stick with this because you just go through so many phases in you your life. You did that... tell your on yourself about that already. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, this yeah, is well, consistent. You're right, mom. You're, you're right. <laughs> I can't argue with you. So then they, they let you in at the end? Like, so yeah, like a spot open or something? Five days before the school year started, they're like, hey, we had a bass player drop out and move like across the country and we need another bass player. We have a cool. spot open. Do you want to take it? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Cool. Like, I definitely want to take it because up till then, music was still coming in second to skateboarding. Like, okay. skateboarding was always number one. Okay. And then music was like, a fallback plan. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like who falls back on music? That's not a very good fallback plan. Yeah. But also fine. Yeah. But it's also yeah. fine. <laughs> but also it should be like. Right. Yeah. You should be allowed to do that. I get myself world. like in knots thinking about like capitalism in this way. Like I'll, I'll get like 
okay, like music should be valued so much more. And then I'm like, but doctors, but, and they'll be like, wait, no, but yeah, but I, I get, I'll sit, you know, staring in my head, just going like, yes, no, yes, no. It's like, <laughs> like capitalism, like jumble. Right. It's, I, yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Cause I can like, sometimes I can kind of see it and then I'm like, yeah, but wait, no, that's bullshit. That's the programming. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I do that sometimes. Definitely. And like, you can't think of anybody, nobody that doesn't like music of some kind. I like, know. Not a single human breathing human out there. It's like, we are very rhythmic people where it's in our, it's in, it's in us, our DNA. like our heartbeat yeah. and what we listen to correlates with our heartbeat. Like yeah, the things that make people move are consistently at 110 BPMs, 120 yeah. BPMs. And that's like the well, rate I, of your heart. I haven't had this thought quite before, but like, you know, if you're thinking, you know, what would you take, what, what would you need in like the apocalypse? Like maybe music isn't on your list, but that's only because you'll just make your own. Right. Like music's not on <laughs> like, their list because when you're in the apocalypse and there's no instruments and the world's burning, you and your friend are still sitting there singing, just keep swimming. Just right. Keep you're swimming. singing <laughs> and you're doing percussion. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so music should definitely be valued more. For sure. <laughs> I know. I like really will though. Like, or even like, I don't know if you have ever experienced this, but like when I'm quoting like potential clients, I'll like do the math and like send them a quote. And like, like right before I send it, I'll be like, wait, is this like way too much or way too little? Exactly. Like, it's never just right. It's just like, am I undercutting me or them? Yeah. <laughs> right. But I, it really will. Like I'll, I'll like, I'll have to like stop and like think so hard. Like, okay, what, what, what are, th what are things? What is time? What are skills worth? What is expertise? And yeah, it wigs me out. Right. I'm yeah. not zen about this yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe I will be someday. Me either. I'm still <laughs> like, I have to spend $40 to go to band practice and gas money a week. But then I make that money back. But am I really making that money back? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, how far out do I go? Like, if I think about like, well, how much did college cost? And how, like, how many gigs have I done? Like how much work have I done for free? Just learning, mm -hmm. like just genuinely learning. Um, I don't know. How much does all my equipment cost? Like, yeah, like you said, gas mileage, getting your car. Anyway, it's crazy. And the fact that we have to think about it so hard is also just like, it's fucked up. Yeah, it is. It takes away from the creativity. Yeah. Especially, I, know, I know for me it does because it's like, all right, I really like that song, but can I sell that song? Like, are people going to want to listen know. to that? Are people going to want to buy that? Is this a sustainable genre of music that I'm playing? I just wrote like an essay about that, like right before you got here. <laughs> when you texted <laughs> me and said you're going to be later, I was like, I feel like writing. So I just wrote a thing about like, yeah, what, where, how do we find like value? Like where, do, where is value inherently? Like, even if it's something is like really well done and well written, but it's not like a marketable, like, is it less valuable? And yeah, I can really get myself in knots about that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Like it's something that I have to like actively not think about because the things that I naturally write and they're not what I listen to. They're not what Same. I would go by. Yeah. And they're not what my friends group, my friend group would go by, but it touches a bunch of people that are feeling the same way as yeah. me. So I, I have to turn off the capitalistic part of my brain to be able to effectively write music. <laughs> I do the same thing. Like 
it I have to go to a place that feels like when you're a child and you're like drawing. Like it yeah. has to feel like that unattached to any mean any external value. Right. And then after I'm done, I can be like, okay, marketing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's upsetting. And it's, like being a skateboarder and the way that I skateboarded and like looking for sponsorships and everything, I became really good at marketing wow. and like marketing myself. Yeah. So it's like something that's weird to balance in like a songwriting sense to totally. me. It's something I'm still trying to figure out. It out. I feel like I might be too far swung on the other like purist direction. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, am I? Again, see, it's like right. mi- perception I, is key. I don't know. <laughs> it's anyway. And also, like I said, depressed and jaded and cynical lately. So this yeah. isn't the version of my brain to listen to. <laughs> you, may, or is it? <laughs> so um what did you like what was the school experience like it was How amazing it like you? when i went to that school i was like i met my first queer people our dean was gay cool. our principal was gay we had trans people there it was rad and we didn't have a, like any kind of dress code you could have piercings colored hair cool. whatever you wanted and it was bizarre just being around that many people that were actually like me were you out no, I wasn't. I didn't come out until four years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot in four years. Yeah. That's for a lot sure. of things. <laughs> but so you privately kind of like felt a kinship there, even though it wasn't oh, definitely. like articulated. And, and then I was like, I privately explored in high school and like, sure. I was definitely outed in a way in the high yeah. school. Yeah. <laughs> Just through normal high school drama. Yeah. Yeah. But you were still presenting. But I was still straight. presenting straight and Cis. presenting cis. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it was just great. It was awesome. That like being at that school yeah. is definitely like what formed me into the Zaza that I am now. Cool. Is there anything else you want to say about, um, like how your creativity changed during those years? Yeah. When I got into that school is when the shift focused from skateboarding exclusively yeah and music just being like a hobby to do while I was at school you know so that I had something fun to do at school into whoa all these kids are really doing the thing you know because like it was weird for me to get in there like I shouldn't I shouldn't have went to that school (laughs) like I didn't qualify to get into it I I didn't pass my audition I didn't learn any of my scales or my sheet music so once again when I got there I was playing catch-up and I like had to to catch up with the rest of the kids and everything but I was like these dudes really do it like they all have private teachers they go home and practice their instruments for six hours a night or whatever isn't it great I felt like that when I started college I went to like one of the best music schools in the world and I also felt like I sneaked in there Mm-hmm. That's ex- exactly how ours. I was. just remember like walking around just like with stars in my eyes, like, oh, this is like, this is different. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely like, me, and like in a sense, I still it. felt like an outsider because I was yeah. like, well, y'all like have known that you're artists and creators forever, and like this is yeah. just something that I'm like still trying to figure out about myself. And were you still like not sure if you were an artist? I never like still like to this day, like I just, yeah. there's a little voice in my head that tells me I'm not an artist. A lot of people <laughs> say that sitting here. Like yeah. it's definitely yeah. a vibe that I still feel, but it was weird being in that school and still feeling like an outsider because I felt that about myself. Like I was like, I'm not an artist. I shouldn't be here. I didn't make it. I got in by chance. Yeah. Like this Las Vegas Academy of Performing Arts is one of the top performing arts schools in the world as well. Like wow. they have 30 Grammys of the schools Holy shit. and like, 
the years that I went there, the, the top orchestra traveled to China to do like the cool. Midwest conference. And like it was a huge school. And I was just like, wow, this is yeah. bizarre. <laughs> so did you start like taking private lessons and practicing six hours a day? No. Okay. <laughs> no. no. What happened? Um, I utilized my time at school as much as I could yeah. to practice. Like I would go hang yeah. out in the practice rooms. There was um, the principal basis for the Las Vegas Philharmonic was our section leader. So he would come cool. in every week and give us lessons. And I really used those as my private lessons. And he, Paul Firak was really cool. He would, he noticed that I was the only bass player without a private teacher. So he yeah. would spend extra time with me. Was that just like a money thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's hard. That's also something I think we don't think we don't talk about a lot in the arts is like, I don't know. I I'm so like, again, depression. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have been like really on one lately about the ways in which we label certain artists as like undeniable, mm -hmm. you know, or like these, these genius talents or like these prodigy talents. And a lot of the people that we kind of accept that way have support in a way that so many of us never will or never right. have. And like I had the emotional support of being a musician, you know, like my mom was like, yeah, that's awesome. You should do that. But yeah. the financial support was definitely and That makes there. a huge difference. And it does for sure. Cause like I said, all these kids had private lessons and stuff like yeah. that. They knew all of the sharps and flats to every key signature. Well, especially in a culture where like, at least for musicians, it's almost like by the time you're 23, you're like too old. Right. And if you didn't have a private teacher until you're an adult, you missed it. Yeah. <laughs> which is just like, it's shitty. Like it, it really is. Our, our, I'm of the belief that like our current, like culture surrounding music is like just morally bankrupt in so many ways. For sure. Well, I mean, look at it. Spotify pays us 0 0.003 cents a stream. Like I got 75 K streams and made 200 bucks off of all of it. So ridiculous. At that point, you're just trying to make music that will get enough clicks to get you that yeah. pay, you know, so that yeah. you can get a thousand plays. And so everybody's songs sound the same. I know. And it takes the soul and the love out of it. Well, and the other thing, I, like I was kind of think, I was thinking about this before when we were talking about like how you present versus how your art presents. And I mean, I think I see so many people who like they're they're very artsy in like their Instagram, but they hardly create any music, mm -hmm. but like they're, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's so weird. Like we almost will like support people who are like, I'm not saying they're not creatives, but maybe not musicians, Right. but like a lot of our musicians aren't musicians, mm -hmm. which it, it just feels a little bit devastating sometimes. And Definitely. I'm, I'm of course like, I'm not talking about like, you know, like there are people who don't know how to read music who are brilliant musicians. Yeah. So I'm not talking about that, but like the kind of people who like can't sing. Right. Fully auto-tuned. <laughs> can't play any instruments. Any instrument, yeah. Yeah. And um, don't even write their and songs. Don't write most their of own the time. songs. And then it's like, why is this a musician? Like, why does this person have a Grammy? Because like, they figured out a way to sell it. Right. And that's all. And then it's just like, this is a model. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is an actor. Mm -hmm. Which like still whatever props for the creativity there, but like the idea that those of us who've spent, you know, who've devoted our lives to music, like are competing with that sometimes just feels icky. To yeah, me. for sure. Oh, definitely. Like I was 
And the and public doesn't know the difference. I was in a bar with Simply B the other day and like this song came on on the radio after his set. Like he just got done playing a whole set in this biker bar or whatever. And this song came on. It was like, I don't even, the, what's that one eyed rapper's name? <laughs> Not Post Malone. <laughs> one of those guys. Machine one of those guys Gun came Kelly? on there. Nope, nope. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever. Anyways, his song came on, and I was like, "Why do we work so hard, B? <laughs> like, why do we? Why do we try so hard to write these like emotional, it hurts. pretty songs, and then some dude with samples and auto tune comes in, and everybody sings. It, it. hurts me. It really does. Yeah, <laughs> it hurts it's me too. it's pain. <laughs> Yeah, it'll make you, ugh, ugh. and then it's like people with the math, the math, the cultural math that we do is like, well, this is on the radio and you're not. So this is a real musician. Right. And then it's like, but, but the values of this system are just like bizarro. Yeah, for sure. But on a happier note, because I try to find at least one happy yeah. note in the depression, yeah. a lot of these bands, like these hip hop artists, a lot of the stuff that I've been listening to a lot of lately, like Smino and like other R&B, hip hop, Anderson Pack, yeah. stuff like that. They get badass live bands when they play I live know. and it's just sick. And you're like, all right, I can accept this now. Yes, <laughs> this so this is rad. That's like, so true. This is killer. And like, yeah. so it shifts the perspective and like, well, maybe I can write songs like that and then just have musicians play them. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. it doesn't, it might not be the band that you hear on the radio, but it, when you come and see right. us. <laughs> That's so real. That's really, really So you real. just have to shift your perspective on how yeah. to create in a way that totally. people will still be able to digest it. I've been thinking about that so much lately. Mm -hmm. So by the time you finished high school, where were you as a creative? Um, I started calculating the possibility of I like my plan was always to go to college and get a BFA and play in an orchestra somewhere like playing a symphony or a philharmonic orchestra. Then I was like, well, classical bass at that point. Yeah. Like, okay. yeah, just straight up classical bass, like cool. being in an orchestra, chamber orchestras, playing like concertos and stuff like that. Cool. And then I was like, I'm still going to have to audition to get into any orchestra after I go to college and pay for all of this money and yeah. that I don't have, that my family doesn't have. Yeah. Like none of us have like, I'm not going to college. Can't yeah. afford it. Yeah. And the, like when you audition into like the Salt Lake symphony, they don't pay their musicians at all. And then there's the, the Utah symphony, the Utah yeah. symphony where they yeah. have a salary, they make right. like $150,000 a year and they're yeah. professional musicians. And like the Salt Lake Symphony is just as good in my opinion. Yeah. My but they're all just plays a, in that. Yeah. Cool. Plays clarinet in my it. roommate's boyfriend is the cello player, oh, one cool. of the cello players in the Salt Lake Symphony. But, and like, even then, like they asked like recently. Yeah. yeah it's the, like a hobby for yeah. those people, even though they're, it's like very good. But you have yeah. to put in so much time and it's not a hobby to them because they're just waiting for their spot. In right. the Utah Symphony, I get most my father-in-law is a physicist, so for him, it is it a is hobby. a hobby. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. then there's people like Oswaldo who just moved here from Venezuela. He's like, I need to, I want, I want to be a professional musician. Yeah. And you have to play in the Salt Lake Symphony to get into the Utah yeah. Symphony. So when I was calculating all of these things for myself, I was like, that's just, it's not yeah. going to happen. Like, How did you just, end up back here? Um, my parents split up when, like, my junior year of high school. Okay. And then. My mom moved back to Utah 
And then my dad shortly followed, so he brought all of us back here. And then my dad just, like, did not want to live in Utah anymore. So he's like, I'm going back to Vegas. You can stay here or you can come with me. It's, like, your choice. And I was like, all right, well, if I can get back into my school in Vegas, then I'll definitely come back to Vegas. So we, like, emailed the counselor, and then they were like, all right, we don't normally do this, but we'll let you back in. And they let me back in. So I moved back to Vegas until high school was done, and then I – I didn't like Vegas at all. So yeah. I was like, all right, I'm out of here now. Go back to where mom is. <laughs> so my plan yeah. was to move out here and get, go to Weber State and try and get in their orchestra department. Yeah. But in between that time, I brought my upright bass to a fam jams. And yeah. fam jams was a thing that happened every Sunday at the Lighthouse Lounge in Ogden. Okay. And all of the Ogden musicians would just come down there and it was an open jam. You could get on stage cool. and do your thing. And I was like, word, yeah, I'm classically trained bass player i'm gonna go do the damn thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> then i got there and everybody was like whoa upright bass come do the damn thing and then yeah. i got on stage and couldn't do the damn thing and i was like yeah. whoa what is this why can't i jam with people yeah like i just literally didn't know how to jam with people so yeah you needed cheap music yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have my sheet music. I didn't have like, like any chords. kind of structure. Yeah. People were just looking at me, yelling letters at me. And I was like, what's going on? Yeah. So I had to like, from there is like really where all of this started. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided I'm going to learn how to do jam band stuff and maybe like start a band or something. Cool. Didn't end up going to Weber State and just really focused on learning how to jam with people. And cool. learning how to play in different bands and stuff. Can I ask how long ago that was? Like that you like finished high school? Uh, twenty fourteen. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So not super long. Um, I mean, it's all relative. But right. uh, <laughs> I graduated in two thousand six. Yeah. So I'm really old compared no, to you. Not. <laughs> I'm just a BB. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a baby too. You are. <laughs> I am just a tiny little human baby. <laughs> just a soft baby. So okay. I I don't know anything about these years, but I know that now you're extremely creative. You do glass blowing, which what? You have a very creative like your your fashion your fashion choices are creative. Uh, would you, do you think that's true? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I feel like that's There's a definitely medium. Definitely lots of thought that goes into that. Yeah, that's a medium too. Um you do songwriting, you play guitar, you sing, you still play upright bass. Um, I'm sure that you do other things that I'm forgetting as well. I'm a parent. You're a parent, which is max creative. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to maybe hear you talk about like whatever you think is interesting in these years. You could talk about like, you know, I don't know, um, trying to balance like creativity with like whatever you're doing, whatever you have been doing in, in past years to generate income or like just, I don't know, what do you want to talk about? Um, you can talk about anything. Anything. I don't like that much responsibility. Well, let me, let me maybe <laughs> say this instead. So again, like, you know, what, what do you feel like, what wisdom do you feel like you have about, well, let's go one by one. I won't like load seven yeah, questions like, on oh, you. I do a lot of things. That's a lot of shit. What, what, like, what wisdom do you feel you have about like what creativity means, why it matters, how to keep it alive we just talk about like your beliefs about creativity creativity to me is just any it it could be anything like any way that you choose to express yourself be it through cooking yeah making the most beautiful doorknobs you've ever seen in your whatever it is like something that you can be proud of 
and something that other people can connect with. And to stay in touch with my creativity, I always just try and stay centered with myself and not try and worry too much about how I'm going to sell this thing. Yeah. Because when, like, everybody says not to turn your hobby into a job, but in this world, like, most of the time you do have to, if you want to keep doing your hobby, you have yeah. to find a way to make it profitable. It's so true. But when you're creating, <laughs> try not to think about selling it. I know. It's tricky. Um, what do you think about, like, how, how do you balance, like, authenticity with, like, allowing yourself to, like, evolve? Um, as like a person allowing, or as a creative, allowing yourself to understand that your authentic, your authentic self can be somebody different every yeah. day as you grow and growth as an artist isn't linear, neither is it as a person. Yeah. So you have to allow yourself room to make mistakes and yeah. room to be authentic because sometimes authentic isn't pretty. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, totally. Um, do you want to tell like the story of like how you decided to come out? Yes. Cause that feels probably like it's related to creativity as well. Oh, definitely. So when my daughter was born, <laughs> were you, or when, no, before she was born. Yeah. Were you married? No, I had a partner, Okay. but we weren't married. Okay. But we didn't get the government involved yet. That's just fine. <laughs> That's fine. But I had always known that I was queer. I had always identified as a femme and always liked the pretty things, the finer things. And I really had grown to dislike how much toxic masculinity I had built in myself over the years as men are supposed to be this way or another way. I evolved into this ball of toxic masculinity, trying to be all of these things that I wasn't. (laughs) Do you want to say anything more specific about that? Like what traits you felt like you wanted to eschew all of it just like yeah. at that point at this point i was just like everything masculine can go okay. like <laughs> so i was just yeah. like very like this all has to go did that feel like for, a like more like morality yeah for yeah. sure cool. like it was just like i don't agree with any of these things that men are supposed to be morally or emotionally you know yeah. and when i found out i was having a daughter like it was mm. i knew that we were going to have a kid but when i found out that I was going to have a daughter. I was like, yeah, she needs to see the real Zaza, not this person that I've built up to protect myself from the world the whole time. That's so In hopes that she could see that she could do the same thing and just be whoever that she needs to be. Did your partner know or like anyone in your life um, know that you liked like femme things? Like how, how open were you about that? I wasn't extremely open with it. But I started to be really open with my daughter's mom about it. And I had, like, hinted at the idea of transitioning and stuff like that. And her responses weren't always the ideal response to, like, say to a trans person that's coming out slowly. (laughs) When did you start, like, privately identifying as trans? Uh, Definitely my senior year of high school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that was just something you like really kept to yourself until For sure. And like I like there's not a day that went by that I, I didn't think about what it would be like to be a woman like a born female, you know. Yeah. And like I would dream of it. I would dream of waking up as a female and just always wanted to be a female. 
and yeah. like thought about the ways that my life would be easier, the ways that my life would obviously be harder being female or presenting female. And then it was just something that I sat on for like the longest time and never really talked about yeah. ever until I found out that I was having a kid and started discussing that with my partner. Yeah. And yeah. I love that. I love <laughs> this story of like making this decision because you knew you were having a daughter. Yeah. And that's where the name Zaza comes from too, is because we were like sitting there and I had come out as non-binary and I was like, my whole thing was like, you can call me whatever you want. But in the depths of my heart, I know that I'm me. And I didn't want to be called father or yeah. dad. So me and my partner were like researching a bunch of like gender neutral names. And Zaza came and cool. like that was the, one of the first names that she read. And I was like, that's it. That's the one. I'm I Zaza for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, Did you get any like pushback from people who like you expected to like love, like um, not give you pushback for sure. My partner, because <laughs> she was like, it was bizarre. Because she was like the person that like definitely showed me that it was okay to be myself, you know, and like yeah. was the person that I felt like completely safe with being myself, and was like, yeah. all right, yeah, it, this is the only person that I could be with that I could know that I could do this, and it'll be okay, and. In a sense, the person that she fell in love with was dying. Right. And like slowly dying and wasn't going to be the person that she loved anymore. Yeah. I mean, I am. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, on a surface level. That's like this authenticity stuff. Like it's so tricky because like we we move like we move through things um, in a way that like. Yeah. It's like identity is this moving target sometimes or it's not. Yeah. But the people who know you, like they don't know what you're kind of holding on to. Right. For sure. Um, yeah. And I do feel like I do feel like so one of my kind of pet like beliefs are like, you know, I think what a lot of like my personal like morality is built on is like I I believe that like creativity is the same root of like uh, the way that we interact with people like mm. it takes creativity to like change how you see a person it takes creativity to like be a person that changes like our whole lives are just like creative pursuits mm -hmm. and I find the arts to be like such a like profound workshop for these like deeper um like human to human like when we build bonds between each other, like that is creating something that didn't exist before. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like the bond I built with my partner, like my partner wasn't transphobic, isn't transphobic now. Like they have a bunch of trans friends, like they're cool with me and everything now. Yeah. But like what we created wasn't that yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a whole weird journey. <laughs> um, maybe this is like a weird question, but do you feel like pressure or like responsibility to like create like for the trans community? Like or the queer no, community? No, I actually have this feeling that I want to be trans and create for the cis community. Cool. And for straight people so that they can see us as normal ass people. Please tell me everything. <laughs> Please tell me all of your all of your thoughts about that. Like I like 
I don't know, like being in the Backyard Revival, the folk band that I play in is really cool because we'll play at like really upscale restaurants or like private weddings and events like that where there's not a lot of us there. And I show up unapologetically trans and queer. <laughs> and it's yeah. just like people, the looks that people give me before I get on stage and do the thing, it's just like you can see them judging you or like yeah. trying to pin what kind of person you are yeah. or whatever. And then you get on stage and you play music and connect with them regardless of what you look like or how you're presenting or who you are. And they love you like you weren't trans or like you're just a normal person, you know? And like, yeah. that's my favorite thing. It's like pretty, <laughs> of all, it's just like going to places where like stepping outside of the safe community and going yeah. into a bar where there's not a pride flag anywhere yeah. or you're like, there's no queer anybody there yeah, yeah. <laughs> and introducing that to people in a way that they can enjoy music and enjoy connection. It's really powerful. And those are like the steps that we take to make it a safer place overall for everybody. Yeah. So if we're all just, if I'm just writing for the trans community, if I'm just performing for the queer community, it it's, it almost creates like an echo chamber effect yeah. where new ears aren't new eyes and new ears, new hearts aren't being touched to people yeah. like us. I really think that's true. And it's one reason why, like I try at least some of the time to interview artists who I know have like really different political religious beliefs from me. Cause I feel like it puts help. It, it helps me put those values in practice of like, you know, we will find like a common ground. Oh, and, sure. and it's not to say that like you need to put yourself around people who are like not safe. Yeah. Um, they're like, you know, obviously there's like a clear boundary there or maybe it's not obvious, but I believe there's a clear boundary there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it feels to me like if we could manage to like, if we can manage to see each other as like fellow primates, right. You know, and I, I seriously though, that like that, like the primal things that humans do, like really yeah. like tick my brain. And that's why I love music and performing for yeah. people so much. Cause it's almost primal watching people's totally. whole everything change because of the music or whatever 100%. you're creating. And it, I love that. I like, love it. I feel the exact same way. Like watching people kind of like, yeah, meld, meld into whatever is the thing that's happening. I think as a singer, like the, the actual vibrations we feel in our bodies, like same thing with dance, like, mm -hmm. you know, those things are like, they, they speak to like something that is essential yeah. in like our species, you know, sociopaths aside, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know, it feels to me like such a powerful thing and like, I think one thing that not all artists, obviously, but a lot of artists, because we make it a, a, a practice and a necessity of our lives to paradigm shift, to um, explore different perspectives, to try to see things differently, we, we learn this skill in maybe a different way than some people do. And hopefully are better at like applying it to people. <laughs> we try to be. Yeah. And like, again, with the pack animal things, because I love the primal nature Please of humans. Yeah. Like we've evolved past the point of small pack animals. Yeah. And the reason I believe that there's so much hatred towards trans people, queer people, black people, marginalized people yeah. is because we don't look like the rest of the pack mm. and evolutionary 
like evolution wise, if you don't look like the rest of the pack, you're going to get us killed or you're here to kill us, you know? And now that humans have evolved into the place where we live and on top of each other, we're like, you could probably reach out of one of your windows and touch your neighbor's house. Yeah. We can't be those small pack animals that we used to be. We have to evolve past that and try and find common grounds with people that don't look like us because all of the time we can find a common ground somewhere. I think so too. Somebody's anger and hate is usually fear, resentment, or it's self-insecurity. Always fear. Yeah. <laughs> like, is it ever not like, mm-hmm. is it ever not like a, like a self problem? No, primally yeah. like on a primal level. Yeah. It's fear. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. fear of something that you don't know Yeah, or something that you've never seen before. I totally agree with you. And then I think like the one thing that is unique about humans is like creativity. Like mm-hmm. it's the only thing that we do that like, arguably no other animals really do maybe maybe whales a little bit and dolphins (laughs) and maybe like the occasional elephant you know squirrels squirrels are creative Mm -hmm. cool (laughs) but it's kind of like it's kind of like again an essentially human thing and like partly because of this creativity we've evolved in a way where we are living on top of each other and we can transport ourselves in ways that we shouldn't be able to right. if we hadn't created planes and like automobiles and boats um and we like this creativity like led us to these new problems that like we haven't had time to evolve out of and we like must fix them with creativity yeah for sure like, and my kink in that sort is like creating bridges between different forms of people and different yeah creeds of people that Otherwise, wouldn't hang out with each other. Is there anything else you want to say about that? Like how you think we do it or like any kind of other like things you feel like you understand that you'd like to articulate? Um, teaching and learning, like being marginalized people. I know not everybody's going to want to talk about being trans or their trans experience or anything. But how are these cis folks going to learn if we can't sit down and have a conversation with them about who we are and why we are and how we are? Mm -hmm. How are they ever going to understand that? How are they ever going to get close enough to us to not fear us if we can't just have a conversation about things? So I really think like sitting down and having conversations with people you normally wouldn't or going and hanging out with people you normally wouldn't or go see a show you've never been to before. Mm -hmm. Like go see a bluegrass show if you usually go to see a funk show. Yeah meet new people meet or feel new things and be open to being wrong and learning (laughs) yes i was just talking about this with someone else like curiosity is also something that i feel moral about like i feel like a lack of curiosity is immoral for (laughs) sure definitely shitty and i feel like one thing that's cool about being a person who like is curious is like inherently there's a belief that you're going to be wrong about stuff. Like if you're curious, that automatically implies there's plenty you don't know. Yeah, for sure. Which is my favorite. And one of my favorite sayings is, I don't know shit about fuck. Excuse my language. No, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I feel the same All way. All I know is I know nothing. Same All I know thing. is I know nothing. I feel the same way. And I totally, like I did when I started this project, this podcast, like, you know, I don't care who listens to it. Like I don't look at the numbers. Like it doesn't really matter to me. It feels like the conversation we're having is powerful enough yeah, to, sure. to me. Like it feels it feels like an it feels like an, an act of like 
maybe rebellion's the wrong word, but like, it feels like action to just like practice talking to people that I have no other reason to talk to. Exactly. Yeah. And like, that's the same thing with like being an ally. Like people talk about being allies all the time, but real allies put the foot on the ground and the pen to the paper and there's action behind it. They're trying, actively trying to learn and unteach themselves years of things that they've been taught that are wrong, you know? And like, just like trans people and me, particularly I can't speak for every trans person. I'm doing a lot of unlearning too from things that I've learned my whole life that I was supposed to be. And that same thing has to happen for the haters on the other side. They just have to have somebody to show them that they're wrong. Totally. (laughs) Or somebody to open their eyes to a new horizon. Yeah. I know this is like, you know, a, a separate thing and kind of different, but I feel a similar way with like talking about like, my maternal narcissism like it's super taboo people you know people oh as a lot of people get mad at me and they feel like you don't need to talk about it like it's airing dirty laundry like keep it to yourself and I feel a similar like responsibility like not all people who have toxic and terrifying mothers are gonna talk about it or are gonna want to talk about it but I can yeah and it feels like really important and (laughs) because you can it makes other people like wait shit my mom was an asshole too totally damn or like (laughs) the frequency with which people reach out to me and say like you know this thing that you wrote i showed it to my husband and he's been able to understand my relationship with my mother Mm -hmm. you know like like i think people helps people identify their own like abuse because narcissism can be really sneaky abuse um it can look it can be very confusing but yeah i mean i just i'm just agreeing like if um saying things out loud even though you know there might be pushback for kind of the greater good of education it's really important stuff for sure i'm glad i'm doing those things and i'm glad you're doing those things (laughs) and like on the note of like the maternal thing is like you now that you noticed this and you've talked about it when you have a kid or if you have a kid, cause not every, every person's meant yeah. to have a kid, you're not going to be that parent yeah. and you're going to actively try yeah. to not be that parent. Yeah. And that is going to help the next generation that helps yeah. the next generation that helps the next I think generation. That's why I love your story so much. Like, like making this decision, like for your daughter, as much as for yourself, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, that's just like selfless in such like a beautiful way. And, uh, I don't know, like m- more place, you know, like, yeah, like we need more. That definitely was the changing point <laughs> of my life from yeah. like being really concerned about myself and how to stay alive and keep myself happy regardless of what the world is happening around me yeah. and just like tunnel visioned into my goals I had the next generation, like, yeah, here in she a is. stomach right there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I did that. Now I should probably figure out a way to not make her as fucked up as I am. Yeah, that's <laughs> beautiful. I mean, really, it's, I get, like, I get super tender about, like, parents being good parents because I don't have good parents. Yeah. And it, it really, like, that's, it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah, and it's, like, being a parent has been bizarre. It's just, like there's this little human and like then you think about all of the things that like 
can mess little humans up, like the tiny things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think like I've watched a lot of my friends become like really gorgeous parents, like really um, thoughtful parents. And I love I love watching my friends like problem solve with their kids. And especially once their kids are like a little bit more verbal, they can just ask them like, am I doing things that make you feel bad? And like, how can I do better? Like, it's such a novel idea asking your children for fe- earnest feedback. Right. So simple, but like. And admitting to your kids that you fucked up. Like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have got grumpy at you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'll work on that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Being accountable for your actions totally makes it so that your kids can be accountable for their actions too. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Love. Okay. As much as I love ending on like these kinds of things. How did you get into glass blowing? I have to know. I have to know. Fam jams. Fam jams is the real root of all my creativity. <sighs> I was at a fam jams and then Zach Knighton, shout out to Zookeeper Glass. He was like, hey, you want to go smoke? And I was like, sure. Great. <laughs> and yes, then we please. went out there and then he's like, I could teach you how to make one of these. And I was like, oh yeah? And he's like, yeah. All you got to do is teach me some music theory. And I was like, deal. A trade. I love it. <laughs> so that happened and then... Me and him started working together and he taught me how to make some pendants and stuff. And then we had a small falling out that lasted like four years. Mm, it happens. And then just recently we've reconnected and started working again together. Cool. But in that four year time span, I was just like YouTube videoing, like how yeah. do I make things? Cool. <laughs> so I like broke a lot of stuff. I and love it wasn't it. until like when Ivy was born again that I was like, all right, I have to like actually make money doing some of this stuff because yeah. I don't work a, a real job. Yeah. I just Me neither. do the art and the yeah. musics, but oh, I love it. Yeah. It's such a, I, I, it's such a brave thing to start taboo. I mean, it's <laughs> just like glass blowing dangerous, danger, terrifying, <laughs> like toxic. It is like, it's Hazardous. so it's, I don't know. I'm always, I'm always fascinated by people who get into things that are like either like those kinds of things or like really expensive kinds of things. Like mm-hmm. how did you start this? Like it's just, <laughs> it's like so interesting. Yeah. Okay. It took me up until this point to even just save up to have all of the things. Like now I have a glass shop that I can move to wherever I go, but it took me forever to even get the stuff. <laughs> I love it. And, it. and I love like one thing that I really admire about you is like your, um, like all the different things you do are so just like, they're all so unique. Like it's clear that you're not like, um, trying to be in like a specific kind of a pattern. I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. (laughs) Like it makes me feel like all of the things are just like, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. Or like, I feel called to do this. I'm going to do it. It's cool. Yeah. It's usually, I don't really go searching into new things to do. They just kind of like, yeah, I have an opportunity to do something. And if I love it, I, keep on doing it that's great okay i ask everybody at the end unless there's anything else you is there anything else you want to say okay i ask everybody at the end what's your dream collaboration Mm. any medium anybody you can build a team i would love to do like you know how michael jackson did we are the world yeah and just had like everybody everybody all the things all the different kind of people i'd want to do something like that with just like a full immersive experience with dancers artists cool any like favorite like muses erica badu yeah alicia keys all the great black femmes for sure awesome and anderson pack if you ever hear me 
I want to be your friend. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah. All those teeth. You got so many teeth. I just want to say hi to them. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And then finally, tell everybody where to find your work. You can find me on social media where all the cool kids hang out at Zaza Historia Van Dyke and Zaza Historia everywhere that it's not Zaza Historia Van Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm currently in the process of removing all of my music from the streaming platforms and re-uploading it under my new name. Okay, cool. Because it was under my dead name. And yeah, I, yeah. So I stopped. Get rid of it, stopped yeah. Stopped linking it to people. And then if people <laughs> want to buy, like, any of your glasswork, they can get it through Contact those places? Contact me directly through Facebook or Instagram. Okay. That's the only way to get my glass. Right Salsa now. Historia Van Dyke. And yeah. all the spellings are how you'd think. Yep, sound yeah. it out. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, Salsa, thank you so much. It was great to finally yeah, meet you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.